Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Jackie Lipinski and Julie Jarnigan. Hello. Hi. It's episode 208. There we go. It's official. <laughs> Online sales and marketing summit tickets launched the VIP list today as we record. Last I checked, Jackie, there were 19 tickets left. Yeah. Well, wow. under, under 20 of over 180. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was launched three hours and 41 minutes ago. It's exciting. Yay. <laughs> and we also wrapped up the Market Proof Academy, the official, we, what we do with the Academy is we do three days of classroom training. And then we have private groups where we still interact with the attendees for the next, well, until the end of May, uh, answering specific questions, helping them get prepared for their exams ooh, around analytics, search, and social, and just staying connected. Then we'll do some bonus time. But the, there's just a lot of things happening today. And then my, my daughter got her driver's temp permit as well. So a lot of things. <laughs> I'm ready gonna, for a break. You're going to take her out driving tonight? Oof, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might as well get it out of the system or else she's never going to let me do anything else until, <laughs> until that happens. She's probably already driving with her mom. If I know my daughter and my wife well enough, they're, they're probably, that's probably all they've done. She, they asked, they said, do you think it'd be okay for her to skip school today? And, I, and this is how bad of a dad I am. I, I'm just like, because she's getting her temps this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then she has straight A's. So why not let her skip school? And so who knows? I don't even know if they... <laughs> They made it to school today. All right, let's hop into story time. And uh, Jackie, are you yeah. going to lead us off? Yeah, I can take it away. This week, I got an email inquiry from a, a marketer with the subject cost per lead. And what they were inquiring is if there is a benchmark cost per lead in marketing that they should be aiming for and understanding. And, and unlike online sales, you know, we do have a range of numbers that is recommended, but there, there isn't really a benchmark for the industry as a whole to reiterate that just because there, there are so many factors in so many markets, but the general rule of thumb is if you do have that data from your past years and, and you can calculate that you always want to be having the same cost per lead or, or that cost per lead is less. Although I I'm sure Kevin, you, you were kind of chatting too about like the last two years and what those numbers look like and what we're actually able to get away with in terms of spending $10 in marketing and selling 10 homes is absurd number that you know some people are seeing. So we kind of are going to have to put asterisks, I think, in terms of these years for, for cost per leads and almost not use them in our marketing benchmarks in the future. You have a benchmarks, but normally when people are talking about benchmarks, they don't mean internal benchmarks. They mean industry-wide benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And cost per lead has been something that Gosh, as people first started caring about my thoughts on the subject back in like 2010, I feel like it was the first time I got interviewed for something about cost per lead. It's like, well, is your builder trying to get 40% gross margins, 20% gross margins? Do you offer entry-level homes, move-up homes? Because some companies don't care how many they sell. They just want to maximize profit. Other people care less about individual profit per home and want to maximize volume. All those things are going to affect especially your cost per sale, but even your cost per lead will be impacted. 
And so the easiest and the best answer is that you're, you should always aim for the same or better. So just calculate what your current cost per sale and cost per lead are and use that as one of your measuring sticks each year or each quarter, or as often as you go back and look at it and say, are we doing the same or better? Because that's, that's the definition of progress, I think, is at least doing the same or better, well, for sure doing better as I think about it. Maybe maybe you're staying the same. But if, if the market environment gets harder and you're staying the same, that is still progress. That's why we introduced the concept of conference metrics. Cost per lead and cost per sale are two of those conference metrics to be wary of because there's a lot that goes into it. But like you're saying, Jackie, there is a way to calculate how it, what it can't be any higher than like your, your cost per lead can't be any higher than X because that's when you run the math. I, I don't have any more money in my budget. The budget is the cap and the number of sales with the budget is your cap on what your cost per sale can be overall. So you can figure out your limits, but the same or better is always good. And in some cases when the number gets higher, it might be because this worldwide pandemic happened that caused everyone to rethink what their home meant to them and put fewer homes on the market. And then that made everything. So that, that's where you've heard us and others talk about, maybe you don't compare year over year against 2021 as your only, mm-hmm. as your only touch point, go back and look at 2019, 2018. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of factors to consider too. I, I know this specific builder is going to be building a whole new website next year. So that's going to really mess up how they're calculating their spend and increased in budget for that too. So just, just be aware of what factors are happening in the, those timeframes and write notes of understanding why those differences are, are there. So. Yeah. And I told Jackie, it was funny. That's not the first person I've heard ask about that this week. It seems like reporting has kind of been a theme of the week Mm -hmm. with builders and numbers. I don't know if it's been like, we've just been kind of not looking as closely as the numbers because everything's been so crazy. And now finally we're like, oh, we need to dig into these a little deeper as, as we have new challenges. But it's kind of been a theme the last week or two that people have been asking about that kind of thing. My guess is that it's because intuitively people feel, I always put air quotes when I say the word feel, that is getting a little bit harder slash more expensive. And so now there's just like this shift of attention to that of, well, what do you mean we actually spent the money we budgeted this month? Are we supposed to do that? What, <laughs> go ask, what is the cost per, cost per lead, cost per sale supposed to be? Or they're trying to forecast if, if the market gets more difficult and those costs rise, will I be, be able to hit my, my goals or not? But in any case, it's, they're all good things to be thinking about. Just don't worry about comparing yourself to others in that sense, mm-hmm. especially the cost per sale. Cost per lead, we could have a philosophical discussion, end up saying friends and disagree a little bit there. Cost per sale, you absolutely should not compare that, that metric to anyone else unless they're exactly like you in an alternate dimension. So Julie, you got anything? Yeah. Sometimes it's fun to be like a fly on the wall and hear about people talking about real estate things with that you're not really involved. So I had two friends. One's a realtor. One was talking about talking to a builder about a new house. And I was just kind of standing between them, listening to the whole conversation. And so she was talking about, we don't know if we should just go ahead and buy something that's out there, or we might take a meeting with, with a builder and talk to them. And so the realtor, of course, was like, no, you need to list your house right now. 
um, while the market's hot. And she was like, well, we have all these repairs to make. Like the dogs have destroyed this and the dogs have destroyed that. And the realtor was like, it doesn't matter. List it as is. Just put it on the market. Ask for more money. So I just thought it was such like a a glimpse of time because it tells you a few things. Number one, realtors are desperate for listings. Mm -hmm. You know, they want a listing. So they're going to say, yeah, like let's list it now, no matter what. They're not worried about getting top dollar because there's just demand is so high and supply is so low. Two, it tells me that markets like this kind of create bad habits. <laughs> so like, you know, there's things like advice being given out there that's just based on this market. And when things slow down, some of those things need to change. And number two, really, you know, new construction is going to be the solution to a lot of these things. You know, the, the fact that there's um, not enough supply and people are going to go out there and see these houses that are thrown onto the market at what the highest Zestimate is, because that's what number they're going off yeah. of. The realtor's not going to try to talk them down on a number because they want the listing. So they're just like, sure, let's just put it out there and see what it is with, you know, not fixing anything. And then I have other friends looking at home saying, oh, they look awful, you know, and they're so expensive. So it was just one of those little snapshots of the market in somebody else's conversation. And it was fun. <laughs> that's always fun when it's not you. (laughs) You can just (laughs) look at it from the outside. You know, I still a little PTSD of my own process. I mean, again, it's so good to go back through the process yourself when you can, because it it re-engages the empathy module in your brain when people are going through this stuff of like, yeah, I don't mean we, again, we moved a mile down the road to a house that we spent a year thinking about and designing and then building and I swear it's taken us longer this time than ever. I think this is our fourth or fifth move to unpack everything and like get settled. And it's like, what is yeah. that? Like, oh, we have four kids now and we have more stuff and we <laughs> are busier and, and everything else. But yeah, it's, I do still resonate with the, the static. The last number was 28% of only 20% of the population believes that now is a good time to buy a home. And that doesn't mean that I think people shouldn't buy if you're going to, if you're going to like, they're not talking about new construction. They're just talking about buying a home, any type of home. Right. So don't take it personal builders listening, but it is like anything else. You just have to mentally prepare and inoculate everyone to what to expect. I want to talk about healthy skepticism real quick. Uh, We talked about this in the Academy um, for a couple different scenarios, but I wanted to use one that, that like there's a company that I, I value, and I'm not going to say their name because of, of what I'm going to say, but I truly think they are the best SEO organization on the planet, not just in home building. Like I read every article they put out. I've interacted with the owner a couple of times on, on social media, really respect what they do. And they charge like a very respectable amount. They're, they're not inexpensive organization, but they happen to work with one of the companies that we work with. And I just happened to notice that there was a, a large decline in organic activity on a particular day. It was, I think, like somewhere in late March. I have the dates in front of me, but I'm just for vagueness saying late March. And I was like, Do you, what happened here? Did you, my initial reaction or thought was that they updated something on their website and that technically like the data was all still there, but it was just being tracked incorrectly because I just saw this, it was, it was roughly a 40% dip in organic, almost overnight organic traffic. Like that's gotta just be a hiccup of somehow with, with what the website is coded or, or tag manager or something going on there. So did anything happen then? They go, no, I, we, we kind of didn't see that. We'll go back and, 
try to dig in. I was not pointing the finger at the SEO company because I really, it just seems implausible to me that SEO traffic would drop by 40% almost, mm -hmm. almost in a single day and then kind of stay suppressed. What this company, again, who I respect more than anything came back with was basically that what the, from what they can tell, it looks like the extreme shift in user behavior was caused by mortgage rate increases being announced. And so the day that, that the, the decline started was the day that the Fed increased mortgage rates or the 30-year fixed rate went up by more than half a percent on the same day that this company experienced the initial drop and then continued to increase. <clears throat> and so it goes through then lots of supportive information that if you believe that initial premise, you would say, wow, this makes total sense and they're a completely believable company. But this is why maybe I don't have as many people who like to talk openly about how much they love love me. <laughs> Not a request for people to tell me that either, by the way. I'm, I'm okay with it. But I'm like, okay, I, I mean, that makes total sense. I really believe that company, but now I'm, I'm pulling up for Jackie and Julie to see. This is our aggregate data report on organic traffic around the country. And you can see that there has been a little dip here since rates started going up, but that dip from percentage basis, I'm, I'm guessing here, trying to be brief for the podcast sake, it looks like it's got to be about a 5% decline overall in organic traffic to home builder websites. So now I'm stuck. And, and what I mean by that is my healthy skepticism refuses to let me fall in love with any service provider, subject matter expert, any one source of information where I'm just like, nope, but they said, I, I, I now will be unable to do anything else until I spend, as soon as the podcast is over, I'm going to spend like two, three hours, probably skip dinner and just figure out the best answer I can from multiple sources and the own data that we have access to of what is really going on here. And I, I just, again, it doesn't change my respect for this company. It doesn't mean that I would not, I would still recommend that any of our, of our, of our builders or listeners of this program who could afford to interact with them would do so. My hunch is that the question might've been framed at them where they felt like it was something that they had to explain, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with them. I still, I'm still suspicious. So, it, and that's okay. I just, I really want to encourage, uh, maybe the glass half empty way is healthy skepticism. The glass half full way would just be be super curious about what's, what's going on and what, what's being shared and why, and, and all that's goes with it. So that's, um, that's story time. And we got some fun, fun news pieces. And now a quick word from our supporting partner, Opendoor. Opendoor is a digital real estate platform that helps you serve more customers with certainty, speed, and ease. As a builder, you can eliminate contingencies by giving your customer an instant home buyer on their current home so they can unlock the funds that they need to buy their new build home. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Opendoor. All right. And now to the news. First up, Oh yeah, we we talked about it. Online summit, online sales and marketing summit sold out, almost sold out. Probably, we'll out. <laughs> probably sold out by the time you listen to this. Here's a little bit of inside baseball on how this works. We get an initial ticket summary. Then over the next couple of weeks, we will continue to finalize plans for the stage and the projectors and all the things that go into the room to give us a final count. So I think sometimes people feel like if they sign up for the wait list, which is where things go after tickets sell out. You got no shot at getting in. It's not true for two reasons. One is sometimes we are able to say, hey, we can release six, eight, 10 more tickets and we're going to hit that wait list first with that opportunity. And the second is that people will have things come up in their life, weddings, hopefully not funerals, but th things that come up in their life, cruise, vacations, whatever, where they, they can't utilize the tickets that they have. 
And every year we, we probably get five, again, five to 10 people who have to request a refund and are unable to attend. And we have enough advance notice to, to let the wait list in on that. So if, if tickets are sold out, don't be sad yet. You can be sad later when we're posting pictures from the cocktail party and everything else. <laughs> but for now, don't be sad because you got a pretty good chance if you're on that wait list of at least having the opportunity a couple of times throughout the course of the year, getting hit with that email of, hey, an additional ticket or two just opened up. Yeah. And also to some breaking news, we've sold seven tickets since recording this. So we only have- Get out of here. Live streaming? Yeah, live streaming. Okay. First article up from our own ad doctor, April 11th, dated change is on its way, getting started with Google Analytics 4. So we talked about this happening. We said more would be coming and more is on the way. So this this initial article from Andrew kind of uh, gives a quick overview on- what you need to do and how to do it to make sure that you're in position to get started. Lots of screenshots, which people love. Step, I mean, he, I think he's going in the tutorial business with all the screenshots on this one and red arrows and do this, do that. This is why we have a lot of other, well, not other because we're not an agency, but we have a lot of marketing agencies that love to follow what we do. And I think it's because of stuff like this. It's like, here you go. <laughs> help, help anyone with this information. So Andrew's also promised beyond this initial introduction and helping to set up Google Tag Manager to make sure that you have control because you're going to need it as part of GA4, this kind of creating a flow of posts around the topic. And really our internal deadline to do convert is to have as much ironed out as possible by the end of next month, because then everything will be in place where you'll have true year over year comparison data. Nothing skips a beat when you, when you switch over. Um, from one to the other, assuming that they they hold with their original deadline. Yeah, and Andrew's article is a good tool. If you don't even know where to start asking your web developer for these mm-hmm. things, <laughs> it's a good tool to be able like, hey, here's this, send it on to somebody. If you work with somebody like O'Neill, they're already mm-hmm. on it. But yeah, it's it's a good tool for you if you don't know where to start. Yep. If you also are one of those people saying, and I think we touched on this on the last episode, well, I've got a GA4 view set up. Just double check it. Because we've yeah. had a couple folks, and they're not folks who who use O'Neill, but but other um, web developers, and again, nothing disparaging to them. There's a reason for it, I'm sure, where the data just isn't flowing in as predictably or consistently as it should, and it probably has something to do with how Tag Manager is implemented on their current site uh, structure, anyway. So again, everyone's got plenty of time. There's no reason to panic and n- no shouting <laughs> or or raise energy levels necessary in emails, text, or anything else to to anyone around this. But just go check out that article. A good place to start, like Julie said. Next up from TechCrunch, public YouTube videos are now eligible to be remixed into YouTube Shorts unless creators opt out. That's interesting. So for those of you not familiar, YouTube Shorts is basically the TikTok of YouTube. They're reels as well. And so now when you upload a video to YouTube, it already would ask you, like, do you want to let people embed or not embed? And now kind of the default is we're going to let people sample content based upon what you've uploaded and use it for their own purposes. And the only exception is music videos with copyrighted content, because that's you know still what a lot of people get in trouble with on YouTube is using music that's copyrighted. But other than music, fair game, right, Jackie? Is that- yeah, yeah, it was fair game. The I think the most interesting thing was they talked about how they're compensating the users and, and getting people to use it. But if I create a home builder video and then someone else takes that video and, and remixes it and theirs gets a ton of likes and video thing, they actually get the money and you don't, which is, hmm. I guess, the opposite of what they 
the kind of like the share of, of um, revenue share of other platforms. So it kind of sounds like they still need to work on how the, the revenue is split, but they're definitely trying to encourage people to remix and put all the focus on those people creating those so that they don't have to s- split anything with the, the people they're taking it from at this time. I'm not against that because, you know, Mike, my daughter is just amazing. And this again, is just proof that I'm becoming older is, you know, she will now, you know, in her own words, vlog on a family vacation and make like daily summary videos, stuff that I used to sit down and use Adobe Premiere or other things for she's doing on her phone, like no one's business, but the, the creativity involved in that is where the bigger value in most cases lies and with the original sampled content. So it doesn't, I guess in some ways I can see why people would be annoyed by that. But in most cases, like we all have time and some resources lying around that are not being used. And if someone used them in a way that ends up going viral for them. There was one downfall of this though. They said, if I did create the video and five people made a positive video and one person made a negative video, if I pull that video, it kills all of those videos and it kind of crushes the revenue stream for those people because of still the copyright elements Mm. that are embedded in that. So I think there's still a long way for them to go and understand the needs of how people are utilizing it, but just definitely interesting where we'll touch on it soon, the article, but just video ad revenue stream is up 50% year over year and, and how people are really focusing on that moving forward. Yeah. I'm, well, and I want to, I want to kind of try to break that apart a little bit. So let's skip over to it. Searchengineland.com. U.S. search ad revenue grew 33% to $78 billion last year. Digital ad revenue experienced tremendous growth in 2021. According to the IAB, search continues to be the leading format. Search is still the leading format in ad revenue. Interesting. But like you're saying, video is making a, making a push. Yeah. 50% year over year. And then search result lost point. 8%, but paid search still reigns king. It's staying with the, the details. Yeah. yeah. So ad search revenue is up, but their market share is down mm-hmm. because, you know, things like video are coming up so high. Yeah. Cost per click increasing, but but share of total dollar spent. I think what's interesting is the metrics make me, and I, I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about TikTok being the most dominant social platform in terms of total usage. And my concern or skepticism around that, I think when you talk about digital video experiencing the most advertising growth, it doesn't tell me that it's being the most effective or it just means that people are willing to pay more for it. I just want to highlight to me the disconnect there is that I continue to understand why everyone would be excited to run digital video advertising. And for some of our builders, it does do a great job if the creative is great. But in most cases, when we still do A-B tests today, Facebook and Instagram in particular, digital video tends to perform worse in terms of efficiency. Getting someone to make a change, to click something, to go somewhere, to give you contact information, it seems to be more of a middle, bottom of the funnel piece, which just means it's going to be a little bit more expensive. So when people talk about you know, a struggling community or a struggling home they want to bring attention to, because we all love video and video content, the initial reaction is let's just push this great video, but it doesn't get the same reach, exposure, or results than a still image would. And so I think what I'd love to to see someone dig into more deeply is if people, first of all, felt like they were getting a better return on their investment with video, and then this follow-up would be, what are you? 
And again, we're talking about advertising, not content. We're talking yeah. about content creation. I think there's, I think there's a big difference between the two. I was about to say the same thing. That's not to say videos aren't worth it and there aren't places for videos other place, but he's talking top of funnel attention, social media ads, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. It'd almost be like saying infomercials are becoming more popular, but then using all of digital video creation. And because some of those are used as infomercials, you're just lumping the whole industrial video complex into one thing. It's like, well, infomercials yeah. are their own different kind of content for a different purpose. It's not just video. Does that make sense? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I tend to go too far into some of this stuff. Um, yeah. No. And I feel like, I mean, Facebook, for example, knows that like when you, you can see it when you do the AB testing, you know, they know that the, that the AI can see what's performing better and um, pushes that more. So they know that that is driving more. Um, yep. So, yeah. And, and the other thing selfishly that an agency would be excited about is video is still, and Facebook and Instagram and Google are all trying to make this easier for advertisers. But when you talk about video or just motion graphics, for most small businesses and businesses generally, that's not something you're going to do on your own. So now you've got that situation where you're dependent upon the agency to help you with mm -hmm. that creative at a different way than, than search or social has become. You know, there's so much better tools now to be able to self-service and still get great results. So super interesting though, that um, overall search ad revenue grew 33%, the $78 billion, <laughs> 78 billion. No wonder more people want to get in that, in that game. From cnbc.com, rising mortgage rates are causing more home sellers to lower their asking prices. About 12% of homes for sale had a price drop during the four weeks ending April 3rd. That's up from 9% a year ago, according to Redfin. So 12% of homes are reducing price. Yeah. I thought it was interesting though. I mean, one of their key points is buyers are sweating because of the mortgage rates. Yeah. We're seeing some of that, but the more we talk to builders about what buyer pushback on interest rates, it's not, we're not seeing it as much as I thought we would see it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's coming out in different different places. I don't know that it's like top of mind for them yet. Yeah, I agree. It is a little bit combination of, again, several things in the headline. Rising mortgage rates are causing more home sellers to lower their asking prices. I'm not sure that's, you know, causation correlation is the yeah. question here for me because most likely what's happening is that the homes that lower their price tend to also be on the market longer. So does that just mean that people were expecting for their house to sell in a day. It didn't. And so they start to lower their price. Um, and are they just asking too much? I mean, back to the old conversation where a realtor's yep. not talking to them about what the home is actually worth. They're throwing out a number and then they're having to pull it down a few weeks in. So I'm with you. I yeah. don't know that it's the rising mortgage rates hundred percent that's causing that. Uh, we're we're going to have um, some experts on from the general real estate side to, to talk about some of this stuff in a guest episode coming up soon. So I don't want to, I, I like, I like the tease, so I won't name who they are yet, but they were talking and these, these people have both been in general estate for a long time, highly respected by anyone that is in that, that part of the industry. And they both said, anyone who thinks that they can correctly price a home in today's market is incorrect. Anyone. doesn't matter how long you've been in this business. What is that home worth? No one can tell you. 
In fact, Jesse just posted, uh, and I shared it in the Facebook group, a fun little picture that shows a couple talking to a realtor and says, uh, this is great, but we'd like to look at something a little bit more expensive. And she's like, okay, I'll show you the same home tomorrow. <laughs> so I don't know that this is a great correlation. What it, what it hopefully does mean would be what I was hinting at earlier. If homes start being up, staying on the market just a little bit longer, that would be positive. Um, Glenn Kelman, the CEO of Redfin, stated that the problem is that if we were a restaurant, people are just eating the food faster than it can be made. And so we've got to get people, we've got to get the absorption, the sales pace to just slow down a little bit, or there's no way we're ever going to, we're going to catch up and balance the market out. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we continue to not see nearly the amount of initial put. Now I think, so some people might remember that when I talked to Ivy Zellman, her and her, her in particular, cause that's the opinion that matters. And I were both kind of agreeing that once interest rates get much above four and a half, a significant number of people are going to be impacted and that might cause the market to, to be in a different place. That still can happen because the question mark is normally right about now through the end of the summer is when most people put their homes up on the market. The concern is that that might not happen and that will really cause a further decline in availability of homes, driving even more people to new construction, driving all prices up even higher, and, and basically causing the other part of what happens in the market, the decline, because we just shoot up even higher. And then just as more supply comes online, just as stuff gets available, if the market hiccups, it's just a dangerous place to be. All right, so to stop talking about danger and something just kind of comical, mm -hmm. And I, and I bet by the time you hear this article, there'll be a lot more out on this, but Elon Musk this morning, I listened to CNBC <clears throat> every morning from about 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. as I get ready for the day, take the kids to school. Um, Elon Musk offers to buy Twitter for $43 billion so it can be transformed as a private company. <laughs> um, so the fun, the, the, I mean, no one ever knows what Elon's really thinking, but he offered, if you remember, he was going to take um, Tesla private and he said he's going to go private at $420 a share funding secured, 420 being the, the marijuana reference. Well, he, he's offered $54.20 a share as his <laughs> firm and final offer to take the company private. I know. It's just the whole thing is great. The whole thing seems like a like a he's just trolling Twitter. I mean, he really is mm -hmm. trying to buy Twitter, but it also seems like he's just trolling. It's entertaining to watch. <laughs> yeah. I, and, you know, he was going to join the board and then he's not going to join the board. I think the most interesting thing is that that is the social network that hasn't hasn't innovated enough to really be competitive or as relevant in many ways to others. And so that's the exciting thing is whether Musk ends up buying it or not. Um, I think all of this is going to push innovation in one form or another faster for the network. And I, again, I've grown in my love for Twitter tremendously over the last three years, especially really since the pandemic. Um, but it's, it needs, it needs to continue to be innovated and pushed forward. And so, like you said, Musk trolling, he's like, isn't it interesting? I think one of his tweets talked about like the top 10 most popular accounts on Twitter, how most of them haven't posted in like the last year. 
And then he's like, calls out Taylor Swift and yeah. Barack Obama and all these different people. And he's like, so these are the one that everyone follows and they don't even create content. Isn't Twitter dead? I think is what he, like Twitter's dead, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he is kind of the ultimate troll with the track record of doing some pretty incredible things. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. No, this is not an endorsement for any home builder to, to take any um, massive swings at Twitter whatsoever. <laughs> Meaning get on the platform. Twitter continues for home builders. Twitter continues to be really just a customer service dumping ground and little else. All right. Time for this week's question of the week then, which is a prediction question of the week. By the end of 2022, where do you think interest rates will be? So I'm not going to give you my answer yet because I'll give you my answer when we read everyone else's guess. But I do my hunch and I, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that that interest rates will be at six and a half by the end of May. I think it's entirely plausible that they will be at six and a half by the end of May. So where that you know, even higher, they crash and go back down to, to two and a half by the end of the year. What do you think? <laughs> what does everyone, let's just all get our collective, collective guesses. And, and then what we can do is not just read your answers on the following episode, but also go back at the last episode of 2022 our producer Jackie can remind us yeah. that uh, we need to go back and see who is the closest without going over. Is that how should we do Wheel of Fortune rules? Closest without I think going so. over. That's more fun. Okay. Yep. And uh, and we'll do a fun prize One uh, for that winner. <laughs> 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 yeah, I promise you, Will Duderstadt will wait until like the day before and <laughs> do what some version of that, so he'll win. I love it. All right. And for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out duconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. See ya. Bye. See ya.